continue with our series called Consider Jesus, and we know that there's a lot to consider in life. We know that there is a lot that we, uh, that we have to work through in life and many different things that we face in life. And when it comes to our faith with God, um, oftentimes we start off with a real uh, a kind of sincere walk and journey with Jesus and a belief in the fact that we're saved. And as we continue on that journey, sometimes we complicate the gospel. Sometimes we, we, can, we can make the, the, the gospel uh, something in our minds that, that we struggle to grapple with, and, and, and we end up carrying things that's, that's more than what we should carry, and we end up uh, trying to pay for things that's, that's more than what we should pay for, uh, kind of like when you go to, uh, when you go to the store and, uh, and you've bought everything that you need. I don't know if you have experienced this, but you'll go to whatever supermarket you go to and you, you've bought everything that you need, and then you go through to the, uh, uh, to, to, to the till, and you just want to get to the till, and you just want to pay your bill, and you just want to go home, you want to pay for your food and go home, and as you get into that queue, you have to run the gauntlet. Anybody know what the gauntlet looks like, right? If you struggle with temptation, this is where temptation comes alive in your life, is when you have to go through the 24 kilometers worth of sweets and really great things and magazines and lip ice. You didn't know you needed lip ice, but now it's there, and your lips all of a sudden feel really, really dry, and you're like, I, I might need some of that. And then these tiny packets of peanuts, all of a sudden I want peanuts, I want cashews, I want, you know, fruit rolls, whatever's there, you know, the temptation, and you end up loading stuff in, and you get to the till, and you end up paying for things that you hadn't budgeted for, that you never planned on, on paying for, and you end up carrying things out that you never should have carried, and we do that with the gospel. The gospel is simple. It's a message that God has given us. It's, it's Jesus. It's His Son. It's His sacrifice. It's our righteousness as a gift of, as the, of the grace of God. But we come into church sometimes, and we just, we add, we add, and we add to the gospel, and we complicate the gospel, and we, we think we have to do this, and we have to make that sacrifice, and carry this thing, and do that thing, and, and, uh, and before you know it, we feel heavy laden. We feel like we're paying. We don't have enough money to pay for what we have in our trolley. We, we don't have the strength to carry what we need to carry uh, after we load all those things on. And so this morning, um, I would like to encourage you by taking some of that weight off. I would like to encourage you by reminding you of the gospel, which is what the Bible does. It's the, it's the expression of the gospel through the, through the Son of God, the good news of Jesus, and hope that you can find faith and freedom and, 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 and a spirit of lightness. I don't know if, if that's actually a thing, a spirit of lightness. But the idea is, is that Jesus says, give me your burdens. Come to me, you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And, I, and, and you can carry my yoke, which the Bible says is, is light and easy to bear. That's the kind of life that God has called us to as Christians. We, we, we do heavy things. We do big things. We carry weight. But with the power of Jesus and the grace of Jesus, those things become light in our lives because we're not doing it in our own strength. We're doing it in His. And so um, we'd like to encourage you in that this morning and, and encourage you to consider Jesus, which is ultimately what the book of Hebrews is encouraging us to do. This series is a journey through the book of Hebrews. Um, if you're visiting with us today and you haven't heard any of the previous messages, um, we're in Hebrews 10, uh, but all of our messages are online at soundcloud.com. Um, forward slash anchor dash Joburg. We can just search anchor Joburg. It's also on our website, anchorjoburg.org. Um, you can go and listen to the messages and see the journey that we've taken so far up to this point. Um, but for a lot of people, uh, coming to church, when they come to church, they feel like they have to make up for something. I've had a lot of people express their desire to come to church and at the same time, their hesitance. 
Have you had conversations with people like this? I know I need to, but I have to make right. I, I, I know I've got to get my life right, and I need to come back. And I need. So they have this idea that, yes, we have the desire to be made right with God. We want to have a good relationship with God. We know that we want to honor God in our hearts and our lives. But at the same time, we wrestle with our own difficulties and our own sins and our own mistakes and our own conscience to say, I know I need to make right, but am I ready to pay the price in order to make right with God? And so for a lot of people, there's a wrestling that happens in their minds. As much as they have the desire to come back to God, uh, they also oftentimes struggle um, with, with their own conscience as, as if they need to come here to church and, uh, and need to make up. They need to do their part in doing what's right. And, and they kind of see Jesus as their relationship with Jesus on hold, as if he is waiting here in this building. Have you ever heard pastors say, hey, welcome to the house of God, right? Like this is the house of God here, like this little glass building could contain God's presence. Like, hey, welcome to the house of God. It frustrates me when people say that because this is not the house of God. We are the house of God. The Bible says in the New Testament, this is a spiritual house. Each one of us are living stones built into that house, and we as a community house His presence. We have His, the Holy Spirit within us, and when we come together, His manifest presence is tangibly here, so we are the house of God. So yes, we can say welcome to the house of God, but when we say that, we don't mean this building, we mean us as a community. And you are welcome in this community. You are welcome here in this family. Uh, this is the house of God. But oftentimes people see God as waiting here in this building while they go and figure out whether or not they're gonna come and, and do their part or whether they're gonna decide to connect with him again. It's like Jesus is just sitting here um, and it reminds me of, of uh, there's a worship song that kind of starts with waiting here for you. And whenever I race my son in the pool, when we do like swimming races, um, uh, I, I really, really know how to irritate him by swimming just faster than him and I, because I give him a head start, and then I, I touch the wall, and then when he touches, I stand there like I've been there forever, and I'm like, wait in here for you, you know, like, <laughs> so we kind of see Jesus as just like waiting here for us, and, uh, and, and here's the crazy thing about that, we don't own this building, we rent it, it's a, it's a conference venue, so there are corporates that use this during the week, imagine if Jesus was waiting here, and now there's a corporate having an event, and he's like, well, this is awkward, you know, I'm like, I've got to wait until Sunday, but I've got to sit through all of these conferences before my people come back. You know, Jesus is not waiting here for you. He is walking with you. He's in your life. He's speaking to you. He is he's involved in your life. Um, but we often feel like he's waiting for us to come back, like just all lonely here in the building, sitting in the corner, waiting for us to come back. And, um, and we have that feeling like we have to come back and pay our dues and get right with God because we all know that we're lacking. That's, the, that's why we have that feeling. We know that in our own selves, we lack what it takes to live the kind of life that would make us right with God in our own strength. We, we all know that we've made mistakes. We all know that we do things wrong. We all know that we fail every week, every day. We do things we shouldn't do or we don't live up to what we know God has called us um, to, to live up to. And so we have this kind of feeling and um, as, I was, as I was writing this message, I thought back to a time when I did some study into the ancient Egyptian religion and culture and what they believed. 
And many of you will know about the Book of the Dead uh, with the ancient Egyptians and how they did their mummification and their belief in the afterlife. And they had a god called Anubis who they believed looked after the afterlife and controlled entrance into the afterlife and would basically judge people after death to see whether or not they would be able to enter into rest and goodness in the afterlife. And uh, I've actually got a picture of some of, the, some of the, the, the drawings and the hieroglyphics of the Book of the Dead. And you can see there Anubis is the one that is managing the scales there uh, with kind of the head of a wolf. And uh, what you have on, on, on the, uh, the left-hand side, uh, yeah, on, on our left if I'm facing the screen, are one of those canopic jars. Now, when they did the mummification, they would take the organs, specifically the heart, out of the body, and they would put it in the canopic jar, um, which would then, according to their religion, be placed on one side of the scale, and then they would take a feather. What you can see on the other side here, on the right-hand side, is a feather, and Anubis would weigh your heart against a feather. And the way that your soul would be able to enter into the afterlife is if your heart was lighter than the feather. You would have had to have lived the kind of life that would make you, you so light in your heart without being worn down or, or um, uh, weighed down by sin and mistakes and flaws and failures. You would have to live the kind of life that would make your heart lighter than a feather. And only if it was lighter than a feather, you would be able to enter into the afterlife as Anubis would give you access. And that was what the ancient Egyptians believed. So how many of you think, how would, you know, I know that most of you are already thinking, how would my heart fare um, in terms of everything that I carry, everything that I've gone through, if I needed to put it up against, uh, up on the scale um, against the weight of a feather? You know, the truth is, is that the Bible has already given us the answer on this. We don't have to wonder. In fact, in the book of Daniel, um, we find a place where uh, King Belshazzar um, had uh, his father, had, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken the, the nation of Israel into captivity, and, uh, and there was a time where they had plundered the temple, and they brought all the stuff, the gold and stuff that they'd taken from the, the temple in Israel, in Jerusalem, um, and, they, and they brought it out, and to kind of um, just boast in their success over the nation of Israel, they started to drink wine from all the artifacts out of the, out of the temple, and all of a sudden, as they were doing that, the hand of God appeared and uh, started writing in the wall, in the plaster. You know, just this massive hand appeared, and the king saw it, and everybody saw it. And it, and it, uh, and it wrote, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Upasen, on the, uh, on the wall. And so they didn't know what it meant. And so they found Daniel. They knew the Spirit of God was within him. And so Daniel comes, and he interprets what it means, and the second, many, many, and then tickle, the word tickle, it tells us in Daniel 5.27 says, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. All of us, if we had to be weighed in the balances according to our own actions and our own sacrifices and our own religious commitment and our own piety and our own commitment and our own acts of love and our, and our, and our own actions as people, if we were weighed in the balances, the judgment would be tickle, you have been found wanting. So you've been weighed, you've been measured, and you have been found wanting. That's all of us. Every one of us have been found wanting and have fallen short of the glory of God. So that is not something that we have to wonder about. 
That's not something that we have to think about. We know that we've fallen short. And the scriptures tell us clearly that we have fallen short. So much of our religious thought, however, if you get caught up in, in religious thought, then you believe that it is up to you to balance the scale. You see, when you think religiously, when you think like the rest of the world thinks, you think my heart is already heavy laden, and so I need to do things to appease my conscience and to balance out the scales. And a lot of people believe that the way that we get into heaven is by making sure we do more good things than we've done bad things. And so people will, at some point in their lives, say something along the lines of, I've done so many bad things in my life that now I need to make up for them by doing a lot of good things. And so they're driven by a sense of guilt and a sense of lack and, and an imbalanced scale. And uh, this is religion. The problem with religion is, is it doesn't matter how hard you try, we keep failing. We're people, we're imperfect. And so the more we fail, the more we feel the pressure to make up and it becomes a burden to our lives. And that's why um, it, it frustrates me that many churches and denominations of churches and groups of Christians actually, rather than expressing the good news of what the gospel declares about our mistakes and our flaws, gives people more to do. Gives people more things to worry about, a bigger to-do list than ever before, and actually weighs heavier on them by making people essentially pay for their own sin. If you've done this, that's fine, but you need to pay penance. And if you go and say so many prayers, and if you go and, and, and sacrifice this, or if you give this amount of money, or if you give up and sacrifice in any way, then you can make up for your, your flaws and for your sins. And, and you're paying the price now for your own sin. They give them duties to make up for their badness. But I want to tell you this clearly this morning, and we're going to see it in Hebrews. As Hebrews says, please don't consider sacrifice as your Savior. Please don't consider religion as your Savior. Please don't uh, consider your own efforts as your Savior. Please consider Jesus. He is the high priest and the apostle of our faith and our confession. We confess him. He is the one that made us right with God, and he was faithful to the one who appointed him. He completed the work. He finished the work. That's in Hebrews 3 verse 2. He's done everything that we need. So instead of sacrifice, instead of religion, instead of making up for your own sins, won't you consider Jesus? And that's why last week I spoke about consider Jesus better than religion. Today I want to talk to you about Jesus, considering Jesus as better than sacrifice. Consider Jesus better than sacrifice. He's better than our own sacrifices that we, can, that we can offer up to try and make up for our sins. I love what John Stott said, um, the, the famous uh, theologian. Um, he, he wrote this. He said, the gospel is good news of mercy to the undeserving. If you, are under, if you feel like you're undeserving this morning, you're amongst friends. Jesus is a friend of sinners, and that's why he is our friend. We're all undeserving. But what he came and, and what the message of the Bible is, is that it is good news to those who do not deserve mercy. It's mercy. The symbol of Christianity is the cross, not the scales. Aren't you glad about that this morning? That the symbol of our Christianity is the cross. The sacrifice that God made through his son to pay for our sins and not the scales. If the symbol of Christianity was the scales, we were all in trouble. All of us would have been lost. In other words, our message to you is not come and make up for what you've done. Come and join us here at church and make up for what you've done, but come and receive what has been done for you. Come and receive. 
It's free grace. It's a free gift. Come and receive what Jesus did for you because of his love. And this is the good news. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament were actually foreshadowing the sacrifice of Jesus. They were foreshadowing the good news, the good things that were to come of what God would do. Instead of us having to pay for our sins, he would offer the sacrifice himself. We all know this, that if you're visiting with us today and you kind of haven't been on the journey with us, in the Old Testament, if people sinned, they needed to offer sacrifices in order to make themselves right with God. And last week I had a kind of a swear jar. I don't know if you've ever seen a swear jar where if you say a bad word, you kind of have to put some money in the jar. And I had a jar here last week and we put a lot of money in there. We turned it around and we called it a sin jar. And we said, imagine if you had to pay some money every time you sinned, every time you were greedy or prideful or arrogant or impatient or angry or, 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 or lustful or anything else. Every time you had even an inkling towards that, you would have to put some money in the jar and you'd have to pay. If you did that, you would realize how much you actually sinned. And that's what the sacrifices of the Old Testament was there to do, was there to show us that we are sinners. It was there to remove any illusion that we might have had about our own goodness. That's, I love what Robert Capon says. He says, Jesus didn't come for people that were good. He came here to disturb the caked conventions by which we assume ourselves good. He came here to show you that you're not good, and that's why he's here, to help us. And so we had a sin jar here, and we said, if you had to pay every time you made a mistake, it cost you, then you would realize that you need a savior. You need somebody who can pay off your debt because you don't have enough money to pay it all. And that's ultimately what the sacrifices of the Old Testament did. And because Jesus paid that price, we can now enter into this relationship with him. We can enter into this, uh, uh, this relationship with him where we are no longer afraid of God. I heard uh, John Piper say that, that, uh, that the, the gospel, the good news, is the difference between the fear of God and being afraid of God. We have the fear of the Lord, but we're not afraid of God because he's our father and he loves us. And so we ended this uh, last week in, in uh, Hebrews 9, and it said, so Christ, in verse 28, and I'm just throwing this in for free this morning, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, he's going to come again, not to deal with our sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him those who are eagerly waiting for him. And I, I uh, thought I would throw this in this morning because uh, my brother is visiting here from, from Cape Town. He doesn't get to come up to Joburg a lot, but he came up to um, have some water um, and, and a bath because um, he hasn't wanted, had one of those in a very long time. And so, and so he is coming here this morning and, and my oldest boy is six years old, Eli, and, and he knew that his uncle was coming and he hasn't seen him in a long time. And from the moment we arrived here just after seven this morning, and Eli was asking me the entire time, when is Uncle Nick coming? And then I'd be like, well, in 40 minutes. And then he'd come five minutes later, and I'd say, well, in 35 minutes. And then he'd come again, and I was like, in 30 minutes. I told him, kept telling him, when the service starts. And at one point, he, I said 30 minutes. He came back again, and I said 30 minutes again. And he said, but you said that last time. You know, how long? And I was like, okay, it's 25. It's 25. And, uh, and, he, was, and he was so eager for my brother to arrive that he actually went out and sat in the parking lot there waiting for him, and I got a photo of it, and I thought I'd throw it in there. 
That is Eli waiting before the service for his uncle to arrive. And when I saw that, I just thought about that Hebrews 9, 28 verse again, that Jesus is not coming for those that are afraid of him, that, are, that are feel like they have things to make up for, that they feel like they're so insecure. Will God accept me? Will he receive me? Does he love me? Will I, will, will I make it with him? Will, will he walk with me? No, he, we wait for him the way that my, my, my son waits for my brother, for his uncle, eagerly waiting. Why? Because he knows Eli knows the love that his uncle has for him, and he knows that he's totally accepted and will be celebrated and received warmly, and so he can wait eagerly. That's what we have. That's the relationship we have with God. We eagerly await the arrival of Jesus because we're not afraid, because we don't have to make up for our sins. The price has been paid, and we've been made right with God and, uh, and, and that's what we have. So, so Hebrews 10 verse 1, if you have your Bibles here this morning, um, we're going to be in Hebrews 10. Um, and, uh, and we move through the uh, 13 chapters here in Hebrews. And, and we are nearing the end of the series. We'll have maybe three more weeks. Um, but here in, in Hebrews 10 verse 1, um, it speaks about the law. It speaks about the sacrifices in the Old Testament. And in verse 1 it says, For since the law has but a shadow, it's but a shadow of the good things. Everybody remember that what is coming, what the law was foreshadowing were good things. The law was a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. The law wasn't the thing. It was just a foreshadowing of the thing. Right? It wasn't the way that we are made right with God, it was just pointing to how we would be made right with God. And this is frustrating when Christians forget this and try to serve God by going back to the law. It makes absolutely no sense in any part of Scripture for us to do that. And many times Paul rebukes people for doing that. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? Come on, it's by His grace that we're saved. It was just a shadow. The law was just a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, everybody say never, but do it with like a little bit of oomph, like never. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. The sacrifices and the law and the religiosity and the piety and the actions can never perfect us before God. They do not have that ability. I'm not sure how many of you did this um, when you were kids. Um, I know I remember doing this often uh, or, or several times as, as a child, and it happened against last, again last week with uh, my little boy Jude. I was standing out at the back here, and I was having a conversation with one of my friends, and we were chatting, and I saw Jude coming along, and he came along, and instead of grabbing a hold of my leg and holding my hand, he didn't look up at the last minute, and he took hold of the wrong leg, all right? Have any of you kind of ever, you did that as a kid, or you've, your own kids have done that, and then you kind of stand there watching them, waiting to see how long it will take them to realize that they are holding on to a stranger's leg um, very lovingly. And so um, this happened last week. I'm, I'm chatting to my friend, and, and uh, Jude comes along, and, and, uh, and, and he holds on to my friend's leg, and he's standing on his foot, and he's kind of twirling around him, and he's just not looking up. And, um, and eventually, he looks up, and he sees my face. And if, you, if your kids have ever done this, and you've witnessed this, they hold on, they lovingly, they sew at home, this is my space, I own this place, like, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable here. And then they realize, wait, if my dad is over there, 
and I am over here, and I can see both his legs, and then there's a very sudden letting go, you know, and stepping away, and, uh, and a little bit of embarrassment, and they don't even want to look up and see whose leg they were actually holding on to all that time, um, and that happened. There's this, there's this revelation come, that comes up um, on, on, on uh, you know, our kids' faces when they realize I've been holding on to the wrong thing. And for Christians, this is true. We do the same thing. We hold on to the wrong things. We hold on to something that we think is God. We think it's our Father, but in fact, it's something else. We're holding on to it, and, and instead of holding on to our Father and His mercy and His grace, we essentially hold on to the law. We hold on to religion. We hold on to things that we think uh, will, will bring us home, but they don't. And it's only when you look up it's only when you see the face of Jesus. It's only when you see the, the sacrifice of Jesus and a revelation of Jesus. It's only when you get a revelation of the finished work of the cross that you realize, my father's over there, I'm over here. I've been holding on to the wrong thing. I've been separated from him by my own sacrifice or my own affinity for my religious piety. And when you realize, but that's Jesus over there, there's a quick letting go of self-justification and self-righteousness in order to lay a hold of the mercy of God and the grace of God and the salvation of God. So we let go the moment we see Jesus and, and His face and, and, and we're able to lay a hold of, of our true, the true and better. That, that was just a copy. The law was just a copy. It was just a foreshadowing, but not the true realities of these things. The true reality is in Jesus that we get to hold on to. This happened to, to Paul. He held on to the wrong leg. Very passionately, he held very tightly to that leg in commitment to the law and to the, and to the Old Testament covenant and sacrifices until he looked up and saw the face of Jesus. And in that moment, there was a letting go and he let go of everything. And he describes this in Philippians uh, 3, verse 4 to 9. He says, if anyone else thinks he has the reason for confidence in the flesh, if you're very confident about how good you are, I have more. If you're confident that you, you're, relig you're a religious person and you go to church every Sunday and you read your Bible every day, and if you have confidence in your actions, he goes, I have more than you. First of all, he was a Jew circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's like, I'm, man, I live this life better than all of you. I've done it. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. I let go. I let go. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In other words, he recognized that there was so much more that he would have in Jesus that he could let go of everything he was manufacturing and building up for himself. It's an easy decision. It's, it's essentially echoing the words of Jesus in a, about a man who went into a field and found a treasure of great price, of great worth. And because of that, he buried that treasure there, went back and sold everything else that he had so that he could go back and purchase that field to have that treasure. In other words, when you look into the face of Jesus, you let go of everything else you ever put your confidence in that ever made you feel like you were better before God. You let go of all of that. You sell it. You get rid of it so that you can lay a hold of that treasure that you have in Jesus. I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, listen to this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Not my own righteousness any longer, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We let go of the law so that we can lay a hold of Jesus and his goodness and his sacrifice. So Paul says, I have more reason than anyone to hold on to my achievement, but I don't take my confidence in my own goodness anymore. I take it in Jesus and I count everything else as rubbish. And this is what Hebrews 10.1 means when it says that the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these uh, realities. They, they, they were just a shadow. Yet so many Christians still hold on to them. I need to hold on to this, we feel, as if they were the real thing, the actual thing that could save us. But now the real thing is here. So why would we have hold on to a copy? In a, in a very literal sense, which is a little bit silly, but, but imagine a person, you, you know, there's a person that you uh, love and want to be in a relationship with, but instead you feel like rather going to them, to them physically and having a relationship with them, you'd rather have a relationship with their shadow. That's ultimately what this is saying. I'd rather just chat to your shadow and hang out to your shadow and, and at night, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to get some light so that I can hang out some more with your shadow. It, 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 it's a super silly example, but it's essentially what it's saying. Why would we hold on to the shadow when the real thing is here? When you can take a hold of Jesus today. The copy, the foreshadowing of the law could never perfect those who draw near. It could never perfect us. The only way that we can stand before God, this is the truth. God is perfectly righteous and the only way that we can stand before him in confidence is to be perfectly righteous. And so if we're going to follow the law in order to stand before God, none of us will ever be able to stand before him in any way. We will not be allowed in his presence. It would be death to us to stand in his presence, not being made perfectly righteous. And so the law could not perfect us and give us access to God. And so God had to make a plan for us, offer a perfect sacrifice for us, which is what he did through Jesus. The law couldn't perfect us. And being imperfect in following the law, it condemns us. If you know what the right thing is to do and you don't do it, you're guilty. And so the only thing the law could ever do was condemn us before God, not reunite us. It was just a foreshadowing. But Hebrews 10 verse 2 Said that It basically says that if the law could perfect us before God, could perfect those who draw near, it says, would the sacrifices not have ceased to be offered? Wouldn't we stop ceasing to offer sacrifices? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. If we were perfected before God, we wouldn't have consciousness before, of sin. But in these sacrifices, when we offer them, there is a reminder of sin. So instead of our conscience being made clear of sin, when we offer sacrifices continually, we're being made conscious of sin and we're reminded of our sin. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats, those Old Testament sacrifices, to take away our sins. There's such an important truth to understand here, and I just want to quickly highlight one or two things that's in here. Um, because the laws, we often think that, look, I don't, I haven't, you know, sacrificed 
a bull or a goat in a while. So I think I'm good on this scripture. You know, a lot of us kind of see that and go as Old Testament stuff. But what we do still is through our actions and through our religious deeds, every religious thing that we do in order to try and make ourselves more acceptable to God, even if it's in our hearts, that's where it is. That's, you know, what we believe about what Jesus has done for us. When we offer those things up, when we act in Christian ways or in religious ways in order to make ourselves right with God, we're doing the same thing. We're still in our hearts offering sacrifices, hoping to be accepted. And what this is, is telling us is that those sacrifices that we offer could never perfect us because if they could perfect us, what would happen if you realized that you were already perfect before God is that you would stop being religious and you would stop offering sacrifices for your own sins. That's essentially the effect of recognizing that you have been made perfect, is that you stop being religious. And so I love the fact that here at Anchor Church, we don't have to be religious. I love the fact that the gospel liberates us to be honest about who we are as people, to be authentic about who we are as people. And that is how we as a leadership have chosen to lead this church and how we'll always lead this church. And that's how we want to be as a community, that we don't have to come here and pretend like we're something we're not. We can be open, we can be honest, we can, we can talk about, like, like Paul says, I'll boast in my weaknesses. I'll tell you about the areas that I'm weak in because I know that my right standing with God doesn't come from my strength, it comes from Jesus' sacrifice. So it actually is an incredibly liberating revelation to understand that you are right with God, not because of your own sacrifices. Otherwise, if you don't have this revelation that Jesus has paid the full price for your sin, and that you have been perfected before God, what you become is instead of being Christ conscious and righteousness conscious, instead of being focused on your righteousness and your right standing with God and just flourishing in your relationship with Him, you become sin conscious. You think about your sin more than you think about the sacrifice of Jesus. You make your sin a bigger factor in your life than the price that Jesus paid on the cross to cover your sin and to take them away. In other words, your entire Christian walk with God is one of guilt and repentance and guilt and repentance and guilt and fear and insecurity and, and disconnection from God because you don't believe that the finished work applies to you. When you focus on the wrong thing, it affects how you walk. I remember going mountain biking, and I was actually chatting to a friend about this this last week, that uh, when I just started mountain biking, uh, there were some friends from another church, and there was this lady that had bigger calves than I had ever seen on any human being. I mean, I think she basically just rode her bike everywhere, like she's doing, she's doing the dishes at home, like on her mountain bike, just balancing. She just rode, I'd never seen anybody ride like that. And so I arrive, I'm kind of new, I've got this like, new bike, I'm just trying out this mountain biking thing. We got out of nor to Northern Farms, um, just here north of, of Four Ways, and, and it's a big farm, 45 kilometer kind of radius if you do the outside track, and, and, uh, and we start on this thing, and I am behind, like I lost them within the first five minutes, I didn't see them anymore. And I'm just trying to catch up the whole time. You know what happens if you're, always, if you're ever the guy that gets left behind, is that they all stop and rest, they go, okay, let's wait for Adrian, so they rest for five minutes while I catch up, and I get there, and I'm dying, and as I arrive, they go, okay, good, let's keep going, and I'm like, can I also rest, please? I need this more than you, and uh, I fell once because I didn't see where they were going, and so I, last minute, I saw them. I tried to do a turn on a, on a gravel road. I rolled. I fell into a stormwater drain. There was a guy who got off his tractor to see if I was okay. I mean, this, it was a hectic day, um, but at one point, we arrive at this, at this area where you go under an underpass under the highway, 
and there's kind of a little bit of a, a hill uh, that has some rocks and things in it with a small track that you have to hit perfectly to get down. And so I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm not, I'm not going to shy away. I know I'm dead tired. I'm not, my brain's not functioning properly anymore, and, and my legs are shaking, but I'm going to do this. And so just before I go, she says to me, she's kind of sitting at the top watching everybody go down. She goes, when you go down, just watch out because there's this one rock that juts out and you don't want to hit that. And now in my mind, obviously the only thing I can think about before I was thinking about the path that I should take, and I was pretty confident that I would take that path, but now all I can think about is the rock I shouldn't hit because I'm sin conscious now. (laughs) Don't make the mistake. Don't make the mistake. What happens when you keep thinking about not making the mistake? You make the mistake. So I go down there confident as anything, and I ride straight into that rock. I mean, I couldn't have hit it more perfectly in the center if I tried. I hit right in the middle of that rock. I had cleats on. I go right over my handlebars, and obviously my bike is attached to my feet, so it comes with me. And I land, I landed so hard, like flat on my stomach, on the bottom. My bike fell on top of me. Man, I, made, I made a funny sound. Um, and she was like, oh, yeah, shucks, we probably should have walked down here. You know, I was like, but she made me sin conscious. I've done that. That, that same downhill a couple more times since then, and every single time I've just gone straight down the path, it's not that hard. And here's the thing, if you're gonna live your life thinking about what I shouldn't do, I shouldn't do, I shouldn't do, I shouldn't do, you're gonna do the things that you know you shouldn't do. But if you, instead of focusing on what you shouldn't do, focus on the life that you now can live by the grace of God, you're gonna hit it. What you focus on, you'll hit So focus on what Jesus has done for you. Focus on your new identity. Focus on the fact that you are redeemed and you are blood washed and you are holy and you are blameless before God and you have been perfected by the sacrifice of Jesus. And guess what? You will live a holy life. You will start living a blameless life. You will start walking in righteousness. You will start being the person that God has created you to be. Not because you're trying to overcome your sin the whole time, but because you believe in who you are. Identity is more powerful than prevention. It's more powerful than preventing or withholding or or controlling or or restricting. Know your identity and just walk in that and you'll miss everything else. You'll begin to see your life change. And so this is why that scripture says, having once been cleansed, you have been cleansed once. You don't have to be cleansed again and again and again and again. This is like one bath that lasts forever. It's not like this earthly life where we have to keep taking baths every time we get dirty. Once you've been cleansed, you're cleansed forever, and therefore you would have no more consciousness of sin. In other words, you wouldn't look at yourself in the mirror and evaluate your standing before God as a sinner any longer, but as one who has been forgiven of sin and is righteous. The Bible says that we are, not we have, we are the righteousness of God by our faith in Christ Jesus. It's who you are. You are God's righteousness. You are the righteousness of God through your faith in Christ Jesus, because he paid the price on the cross. So now we no longer worry about what we might owe or what debt we owe to God or what we'd have to make up for our sins. Instead, we're aware of who we are in Jesus and we're just righteousness conscious. So it turns out that the remedy for overcoming sin in your life is not focusing on your sin, but on the fact that you are cleansed of sin. You've got to take that path. You've got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. That's why the scripture tells us, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He is both the author and the finisher of your faith. 
He will lead you through on that path, and he'll take you to where you need to be. Hebrews 10, 5 says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, when Jesus arrived, knowing that the sacrifices of the Old Testament could never cleanse us, if they cleansed, then after the first year that they had done the sacrifices, they would never offer them again because surely you would be cleansed and wouldn't have more consciousness of sin, so you wouldn't have to offer another sacrifice. But because the law is imperfect, they had to keep offering those sacrifices again and again and again and again. And so when Jesus arrives in Hebrews 10:5, it says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you, God, have not desired. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. He goes on in verse 8 and he says, when he said, when Jesus said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, then Jesus said, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, the first covenant, the first way of religiousness, the law and the Old Testament in terms of uh, following a, a a legalistic structure for salvation, he does away with that in order to establish the second. In other words, what the law was imperfect to do, what the Old Testament with its, with its laws and with its rituals and with its rules and with its religious processes could not do, Jesus said, I have come to do it. I have come to do it. You haven't desired the sacrifices. They don't please you. I'm here to please you on the behalf of these people. I'm here to do your will, God. God sent Jesus to be that, that fulfillment for us. The first was an imperfect shadow, the wrong leg to hold on to, a copy of what was to come, and it could never please God. The law could never please God. And Hebrews eleven six 6 says this. It says, without faith, without faith in what Jesus has done, without believing in your righteousness, without standing in the fullness of what God has done for your life, it is impossible to please God. You can give all your money away. You could set up a little tent and live here in church. It'll also be awkward when the corporates have their events. But you could, you could live here in church and you could, you could do every religious thing you could think of. It won't please God, not one bit, if your faith is not in the finished work of the cross. It's only in Jesus. It's only in Jesus that we have that fulfillment and that, that, that ability to please God. But now in Christ, our lives can be pleasing to God. We can live lives that please God because we're doing it by faith and in our, in our new covenant, in our new uh, uh, person, the new people that we are, the new creation that we are. So our sacrifices, the scripture says, our earthly human offerings of religious sacrifice are like dirty rags to God. A bunch of dirty rags before him. But Jesus says, God, I have come to do your will. I have come to pay the price on the cross. I have come to be the perfect sacrifice so that we could do away with their sin so that people can be forgiven of sin. I've done away with the first so that I may establish the second. What is the second? It is the covenant of God's grace that we can stand in this covenant eternal relationship with God by putting our faith in what he has done on the cross. What the Jewish law could not do Jesus did in one stroke, in one act on the cross. All those years of sacrifices, one single sacrifice on the cross did it all. When I, when I read that, sometimes I, I connect, you know, Bible scriptures to very strange 
thoughts and, and things I've seen or videos I've watched or, you know, occurrences in life. And, and this is one of those occasions where, where I thought about how the, how the law tried and tried and tried and couldn't do it. And then all of a sudden in one stroke, Jesus paid the price. And I remember seeing a video online. I don't know if, if any of you have seen this video where um, there are these wildebeest coming through the Morrow River. <laughs> and when I say that, you're really like, how did he connect that? I don't know. Don't ask me. But, but there's these wildebeest coming through the, the riverbed in, in, the, in the Mara. They, you know, they, they you know, run through the river and they get through to the other side. And there was a pride of lions and there were these lionesses that were kind of crouched watching these wildebeest and they kind of want to go and they kind of want to go. And, and you watch for about two minutes of this like lioness deciding or trying to time it perfectly and making kind of a half-hearted attempt and doesn't catch the wildebeest and misses this one and kind of goes back down and people are just watching forever. And then all of a sudden, out of left field comes this big male lion. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't wait. He just runs straight in, tackles about three wildebeest, grabs onto one, and five seconds later, it's all over for that wildebeest. And, it, and, and I, when I read this, I felt like the law was that lioness going, gosh, oh, could I, could I, I, maybe I'll try. No, I can't get a hold of that. And then all of a sudden, Jesus just comes and just takes that wildebeest out. Really random thought, but, but the point is, oh, here's the great thing. I had to tie it in like this. Jesus is the Lion of Judah <laughs> who arrived to take out our sin. See, it works. Um, but you're perfect before God this morning. Your sin was taken out like that lion took out that wildebeest. It was taken out. It was put to death. It's done. You are perfect before God this morning. That's the truth of your position in Him. You are justified. That word justified means just as if you had never sinned before Jesus. For all time, the Scripture says. Once for all time, He paid the price. It doesn't change. Yes, we still fail. Yes, we're still growing. Yes, our character and our maturity is still catching up with our true reality in Christ. But before God, your position and, your, and, and how God views you in terms of sin is that you are perfect. This perfection doesn't mean that we're perfect in character. It doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. It means that we are completely sinless before God because he has already paid the price through Jesus and he has removed our sins from us, which is what God promised all the way through the Old Testament. He says, God will remove your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. Which the east and the west, even though on the globe you kind of go around, and I'm not like one of those flat earthers or anything like that, so don't misquote me here. But, but if you just keep going east out into space and you keep going west out into space, they will never meet. And that's how far God meet, uh, removes your sins from you. Your sins have been taken from you and they've been sent in the opposite direction and you won't ever see them again. The Bible says that God takes our sins and he throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. If you're out on the boat in the middle of the sea and you drop something, you can forget it. It's gone. You're not getting it back, okay? And that's how God, that's what God has done with your sin. He's removed us from our sin through the sacrifice of Jesus. And then there's a process of sanctification. Sanctification is ultimately a purifying process by which God works in our hearts and our lives and our actions and our reality to cause us to become the people that He has already made us to be. The process of sanctification is where we become the people we are already in Christ. Does that make sense? We are already perfect, and then we become perfect in our actions, in our daily lives, 
We become the people that God has caused us to be. And that's the journey we're on as a church. We're all growing. We're all becoming that. But our position before him is that we are holy and blameless and complete. And, uh, and he offers that to us as a new covenant. This is what we have with God. So Hebrews 10 verse 15, my final scripture this morning, says, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. So now that we've put our faith in Jesus and this finished work and this new covenant and this sacrifice that he has made for us, the Holy Spirit now comes and bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant. Now, Jesus, remember, said, I'm the one who will do your will, Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. After Jesus has died for our sins, this is the covenant I will make with the people. I'll put my law in their hearts. I'll write them on their minds. In other words, we now serve God by the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit in our spirit. We are made righteous, and so we fulfill the law not by looking at the law, but by being who God has called us to be on the inside and obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit. In other words, rather than thinking, rather than somebody coming and, and giving you a piece of paper and saying, you must do this, all of a sudden, you have an internal drive to do that before anybody's even told you because the Holy Spirit has made you to be the kind of person that would do that. In other words, he changes us from the inside out, not from the outside in. It's not by the letter of the law, which just condemns and kills. It's by the Spirit on the inside. The Spirit gives life, and we live in that life. So I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. What sin, what mistake, what lawless deed that you've committed have you not been able to forgive yourself of, have, has, has kept you from engaging with God? God says, I'm not remembering it anymore. I'm not remembering it anymore. Jesus paid the price for it already. Where there is forgiveness of these, where God has forgotten our sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. No more penance to pay, no more religious actions to make up for your, we live in a response to God's grace, but we do not live religiously in order to make up for something. We don't live and serve God because we're making up for something. We live and serve God because we've been made full of something, his presence, his grace, his, his purpose. That's why we live. It's a much stronger driving force than guilt and, and shame. God no longer holds on to your sins, so neither should you. We hold, we hold on because we want to make right, but faith lets go because we believe the price has been paid. God has already paid the price on your behalf. And so this morning, God says to you, I will remember your sins no more. That's who you are. I will remember your sins no more. So what are we sacrificing for? Why do we struggle with unbelief and feel like we still need to make up for things? We can let it go and we can believe that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And that is why believing in Jesus, if we consider him who was faithful to the calling, I'm here to do your will. The law couldn't do it. They couldn't do it for themselves. But God, I am here to fulfill the law on their behalf. I'm here to pay the price on their behalf. If Jesus did that, then surely considering Jesus is better than sacrifice, is better than us trying to make up for ourselves. So I'm sure you understand this morning that we still do sacrifice. 
We still give things up. We still, we still serve. We still love. We still do things that are difficult for our flesh to do. But here's the thing. We're not doing them to make up for our sin. We're doing them because our sin has already been made up for. In other words, there's nothing left for us to do except be faithful, except obey God, except walk in His ways, because that's who we now are. Amen? Jesus is better than sacrifice. Uh, let's go ahead and, and pray together this morning.